Welcome back to The Paradigm Project. Today is episode four, and we're talking to Miss Cavallero about mindfulness and balance in education and all things amazing. Cavallero. So excited to be here with you guys. Number four is my lucky number. Really? Yeah, this is the fourth podcast. Good timing, people. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. I've been thinking about what I wanted to share with you guys for the past couple of weeks when Mr. DeBono asked me to do this, and my mind's just been flooding with all these ideas. So well, that's fantastic. Really excited. Let's start with just like a little bit about you. Who is Miss Cavallero? <gasps> wow. Let's see. How far do we want to go back? Let's start at your name. <laughs> <laughs> my name. Well, it's my married name. My maiden name is Hamery, and Hamery is Hungarian. My father is from Hungary. He actually came over when he was 14 years old. And at the time, it was uh, Hungary was being bombed by the Russians. And he left his beloved country and came to America with nothing. In our teenage years, when we would complain, my dad would be like, I didn't even have a pair of shoes when I was your age. <laughs> You know, because we grew up. Well, I grew up in the uh, on the coast of Maine. I, I didn't have any food. I was always hungry. Yeah, no, it's crazy. He was a full-on refugee. It was really, yeah, yeah. It was. Oh. He has a crazy story. I feel like that is actually part of who I am just because of my father being an immigrant and that story. And it really shaped our childhood growing up. That's really awesome. Yeah, it was exciting. It was fun. So I grew up on the coast of Maine. My parents owned and ran a restaurant, and we lived on top of it. It was a big old colonial house. Um, in a small town called York Village, Maine, right on the ocean. Did you guys sell lobsters? Yeah, my dad had a lobster boat, and so he would go out and harvest lobsters. I don't know if it's hard. Do you harvest lobsters? Do you hunt that's lobsters? Amazing. I think you like farm them. I think that's you what gather you... them. Something know. like that. Because they're just obtain. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Anyway, so um, did a lot of fishing, a lot of seafood. It was a, a really interesting childhood. Got exposed to a lot of different cultures, being in the restaurant and like visiting with adults at a young age, observing adults at a young age, and seeing addiction because. In the bar, there was a bar there, and we would sit at the bar. I don't know if we're getting too deep too fast No, here. go no, ahead. Let's go for it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we would come home after school, and we would sit up at the bar, and we would eat our snack, right? And the fishermen in the village would come in around the same time and get their drink on. And so, and I just remember, like, seeing their spirits go from just get darker and darker and darker the more alcohol they consumed. So, I mean, one of my passions in addition to um, mentoring teenagers is also working in the recovery population. I've been teaching yoga at a drug treatment center for the past 15 years. Oh. And um, it's a highlight of my week also. But it all comes back to the same message is how can we connect to the best version of ourselves through these mindful practices. And these mindful practices are really holistic. I mean, when I say holistic, I mean every aspect of our life, starting with the thoughts that we start thinking, the moment we're conscious in the morning, the interactions we have with people, the food choices that we make, the sunshine that we take in, um, the service that we're able to provide for our community. I mean, it's just, there's so many parts of this. And that's why I was like, oh, I hope we just get to talk about it all. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Before we get too much further on, I had heard like back in ye olden days, especially like in Maine where lobster farming was just super common. I remember they would pass like rules or like it would be in your contract for like fishermen would be like, you can't serve me lobster more than like X amount of times. And like prisoners had like riots because they like got too much lobster because it was like back then it was just like so common and so cheap that it was just like this is the garbage food that everyone has. Growing up and like working in a restaurant where lobster was served, did you ever like... I don't like this or are you love lobster or like 
because it's, it's very like when I think Maine, I literally a picture of Red Lobster logo like, just pops up <laughs> in my true. mind. I know. I know. They're really sped. The water, the reason why the lobsters are so delicious in Maine, because the water is so cold. Yeah, there's a special current that runs through Maine and not the other New England states that makes the water super, super freezing. So the colder the water, the sweeter the lobster. Whoa. Yeah. So you can get lobster like from the Caribbean or like usually it's just the lobster tails. But the Maine lobster have the big claws and they're just really, really sweet. So um, I never really got sick of lobster. Yeah, I still love it. And at one point, yeah, a couple summers ago, it was cheaper than chicken. So we ate it wow. a lot. Yeah. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, wow. but lobsters are the trash of the sea. I mean, they are the cockroaches of the sea. <laughs> they literally eat everything. They're pretty disgusting if you think about it that way. They're very dirty creatures, mm. but they taste delicious. That's deliciously <laughs> gross. I know. So growing up, I guess, kind of in a tavern almost. Mm -hmm. So you teach health here at Paradigm, I right? I do, yes. Um, and a lot of that focuses on healthy eating habits. I feel like if I grew up in a restaurant, I would be four times the size that I am now. How did that like affect you growing up and your eating habits and like how did that affect your mindset about health? Good question. Well, we got to have to kind of look at the reason why my family wanted to open up a restaurant. My father and mother have it, just a love of food all things culinary related. So we lived in the restaurant actually and owned the restaurant for only 10 years of our childhood. And then we moved to another town and had like a normal life. Um, but we still like there's still just a love around food. Like every meal was just such a big deal. You know, we prepared every meal. Everyone took a part in it. Someone would make the salad. Someone would set the table. And if you didn't get to do those jobs, then on the back end, you had to clean the kitchen and empty the dishwasher and do all that stuff. So food was just like, it was just such a huge part of our childhood and my, my dad's passion. And one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about working with people in recovery from substance abuse is because my father uh, battled alcoholism his whole life. And so part of growing up in the restaurant was seeing, seeing alcoholism affect really amazing people, especially my dad. And he died, it was three years ago that he died of alcohol-related liver disease. And so watching him just be tortured his whole life. But so he would transfer... When he was sober, he would transfer his alcohol addiction to food addiction. And I also realized in my 20s that I have very much an addictive personality. I never got addicted to substances, but I was very much addicted to exercising. I became addicted to food. So that is kind of like my roundabout way of becoming interested in health because I knew that you know, at one point being addicted to processed food was so damaging to my body and my mind. I really noticed the effects on my cognitive abilities too. I mean, it would just like hijack my mind. Not only would I be thinking about it all the time, but it also, it would also affect the neurochemicals in my brain. So I had brain fog, just tired. You know, I could just feel like I wasn't as, as I didn't feel as great as I knew that I could. So I think food was kind of my first way of realizing that health is, it's just so important to feel great, as great as we can. And that's just one dimension, one dimension of, of health. And also, and when I was in college, I was an athlete. I was a collegiate athlete, a rower. And rowing, we practiced twice a day, six days a week. It was really intense. It was insane. We were overtrained. But you have to eat a lot of food. 
and I didn't really eat the best food. And I feel like my performance would have been better if I had known that rice aroni and kielbasa and baked beans is not the healthiest dinner for nothing. <laughs> really? Yeah, that was my favorite meal. Like, all right. I'm like, that's so healthy. I had no idea. Yeah. So I just wish that I was educated more about health back then. So I guess let's talk about your health education. So you teach yoga often to teach at the drug treatment center and you also teach yoga here as well as your health classes mm-hmm. what what got you into yoga in the first place oh so i wish i had gotten into yoga when i was a teenager because that would have made teenage years so much better i got into yoga it was after college and my body was really injured from rowing for four years. Like we were just, we just never stretched. We lifted a ton of weights. My coach just never took the time to, to have an even, I don't know. We were just like, go, 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 go nonstop. So my, I went to visit my sister who was my twin sister who was living in California at the time. I was living in Boston and she had gone into kind of like taking a more relaxed approach to life. Like she wasn't super interested in getting a job. She All she wanted to do was surf. And so I didn't exactly approve of her lifestyle because I was living in Boston. I'm like, I have to get a career. I got to make a lot of money. And and she we were just really different. And so she left for work one day and she was like, here, try this yoga video. And I was like, yoga, you're so weird. But I got bored enough. So fine. And it was raining, so I couldn't go outside. So I was like, fine, I'll just try this yoga tape. And it was a a VHS tape Mm. and I did it and it was so horrible. I hated it so much. Mm -hmm. It was 50 minutes of torture. It really was for my ego, for my body. It was painful. I was bad at it. I hated it so much. But afterwards you lay, you lay on your back. It's called final relaxation and you just kind of integrate your practice. And I did, I, I did it, even though I just wanted to like jump out of my skin and never do yoga again. But I actually, I had something click in my brain and the little still small voice, our intuition said to me, you're going to be doing more of this and your body feels amazing right now. So get over yourself. So that was kind of how I got started. You got to love the the internal yoga voice like yelling at you. And it's like, this is what I needed. Why have you been starving me of this? Well, yoga is all about connecting. The way I see yoga is it is a body, mind, spirit connection, right? And if you think of a lot of the experiences that we have in this lifetime, a lot of them disconnect us from our mind and our spirit, right? And as a collegiate athlete, it was so ego-driven, right? You have to be the best. You have to kick everyone's butt. And if you don't, you have low self-esteem. And I was very much in that mindset because I I was a very successful rower. And so I put all of my value in my accomplishment. And is that who I really am? No. Did I think that for four years and put all of my identity into the fact that I had to be the very best? I did. And afterwards, after graduating and not being a Division one collegiate MVP captain, you know, I had all these accolades, but I was like, who, who am I really? And so yoga gave me an opportunity to kind of excavate, peel back the ego, this false image that I had. It wasn't a false image. I mean, I, I, I really did want to be the best, but I just, I put so much of my self-worth into being the best that it was an illusion, right? Because was I really serving the greater good? Not really. It was all about me being the best. Um, so yoga was just an opportunity to discover the version of myself that wasn't type A nasty. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, yeah, I was not a super happy person back then. I I based my happiness on my success, and that is um, an illusion. It's sand, you know, it's temporary. So yoga helped me go there for sure. 
And then once you start it and you start feeling better because there's this physical response and then there's the mental response and then there's the spiritual connection, you just really, you just realize that we're just, we have so much potential inside of us and that our physical body is a really great way to access it through the practice of yoga. And there's lots of modalities. I mean, swimming is a great way to connect. I think any meditative movement and for everyone that could be different, but finding a way to still the the monkey voice that's jumping around all day and chattering and telling you about your self-worth and your fears and your worries and the future and the past and getting into a place of stillness where you just can be experience the present moment and realize what amazing brilliant beings we all are so that's yoga in a nutshell for me oh actually there is a little bit more into the story I don't know okay. go ahead yeah. Yeah. Okay. i'm interested <laughs> so when i moved to utah i had finished my first teacher training and I knew one of the things they said is you need to decide what your population is going to be. Who do you want to teach, right? And I didn't really see myself teaching in like a fancy yoga studio. I wanted to teach people who would never do yoga. And so an opportunity opened up (laughs) to teach yoga at the jail and the prison and a juvenile detention center. It's like they all just came my way within a couple of months where I was like, I want to teach. Like cuz those people, you even if they got out of jail, prison or the juvenile detention center, it's not like they would find their way into a $20 yoga class. Right? Yeah, they're not like I finally got out of jail. Right? I can get back to, to my hot yoga. Take some hot yoga. <laughs> I got to yeah. get back to my my yoga spa. Yeah, and so I was like, I was like, yeah, this is perfect. And I loved it. It was such an amazing experience cuz they really they got a lot out of it. And there was I always tell my yoga my yoga class this at the first class. So it was the day of the uh, Virginia Tech shooting. It's actually coming up. It was April something, 2005, and it was the first one of the first really big shootings where like many many people were killed. I want to say 25, 30. We'd have to to check, but it was horrible. It was all over the news, and I had just taught yoga to a group of men out at the Salt Lake County Jail. And we had done it outside that day because it was nice. They have like these concrete courtyards. I mean, all it is is concrete and you look up to the sky, but you can see the sky and sun. It's kind of nice. So we had just finished and we had walked inside and everyone in the pod, there's about 70 people in each pod. They were standing around the TV and they have one TV that's smaller than the TVs that we have in our school. Like they're small. There's just one for the whole pod. And they're all crowded around, which is pretty unusual. And it was just like drop dead quiet. And so we're watching. We're like, and everyone's responding like, oh, no, that's horrible. Oh, my gosh. And one of the guys who had come to yoga every week for the past few months, he goes, man, that guy needed yoga. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and everyone heard it. And the guards who just thought I was like this weird chick coming in to do yoga with the guys every week was like, huh, yoga? Huh, okay. So that was like my moment of, because I was volunteering, I wasn't getting paid to do this, but I really, I was like, I just had such hope that I was teaching these people that would never be exposed to yoga, this ancient practice of coming into a place of higher consciousness using their body. Because no matter if you're flexible, if you can stand on your head, it doesn't matter what your physical body looks like. You, Everyone has access to this higher consciousness through the deep breathing, through the, you know, paying attention to the sensations that you experience during the yoga. That's incredible. It was exciting. That's so powerful to to be able to help that. I feel like that's a really noble mission. You, You also are a published author. 
correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. You wrote a book on yoga? I did. So, Can you tell us um, a little bit about that? Yeah. After I was volunteering all over the place, this uh, woman and I started, this dear friend, she's not just a woman, she's a dear friend. She and I started a nonprofit organization called Green Tree Yoga, and it was a nonprofit to bring yoga programs into schools and institutions. So our first publication was actually a manual for PE teachers to teach yoga in like fitness classes. And Granite School District bought like 500 copies for all of their their people, but it, it's not like it was a hot selling item. But um, then she and I published a book called Yoga for Kids to Teens. And I introduced a style of yoga that I developed when I was teaching. I started the yoga program at the Huntsman Cancer Institute. And I incorporated an interesting tool that as far as I know, no one's done yet, and it's just a four-foot wooden dowel, and you incorporate it into all the yoga poses to help lengthen, strengthen, massage, balance, just kind of help deepen the practice. So the book was to introduce that, and then I also did a yoga DVD and a manual to accompany, or actually not in addition, it was the book, and then we did that. So yeah. You invented a new form of yoga. I did. That's amazing. Just out of necessity. You've heard the expression, necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these people at the Huntsman Cancer Institute, they were surviving cancer. So they were undergoing treatments, all kinds of treatments. And those treatments can be rough on your body. Chemotherapy. Oh, you know, your dad. Yeah. <laughs> I've not had cancer. My, my father. Your dad um, had cancer. Yeah, yeah, my dad had cancer. Yeah. yeah, it wipes you out. I mean, whether you're getting surgery or radiation or chemotherapy, yeah. And so the doctors, I mean, part of their rehabilitation is to get them exercising again because exercise so, is so important to keep the body healthy. And so they're, you know, many of these people haven't done anything intense. So they're like, well, let's just start with yoga. And so I'd have these people coming into my yoga class that were very, very disconnected and had very bad balance. And I was like, whoa, like I need help. And, you know, call it in or just however it works. But I just had this idea. The first stick was a ski pole, actually. And I was skiing with my sister. And we stopped to stretch. And we used our ski poles. And we're like, wait, this is some good stretching with this Kinda these awesome. ski poles. <laughs> so then it turned into a four-foot wooden dowel that we can decorate now. And we kind of, yeah. But every yoga pose, you can literally incorporate the stick as a way to align, massage, balance, many, many, many different ways to, to kind of take the practice a little farther. So yeah, it's called SOLA Yoga Stick and SOLA is an acronym and it stands for, the S stands for self-awareness, which I think is one of the processes that we go through when we start practicing yoga a lot. You'll kind of be like, oh, wait, I'm noticing my thoughts. Oh, I'm noticing that I really hate this pose. Why do I hate it so much? Because it hurts. I happen to notice that Why does quite it hurt? Because I'm really tight. Why am I really tight? Because I'm holding stress there. Well, how do we let go of that stress? Oh, okay. So the S is self-awareness. Yeah. The O stands for observation. So again, the opportunity to observe. And not only observe externally, right? Like it's so awesome to observe the breeze blowing in your face. Because when I started practicing yoga a lot, I just noticed that my external world was a lot more, I just noticed it more. I noticed birds chirping. I noticed the wind blowing. I noticed the feeling of sunshine on my face. They were there the whole time, but I was always too much in my head to take the time and observe my external surroundings. So it's not only an internal observation, 
that we experience when we start practicing regular yoga, but the external is really cool. And noticing people, like noticing smiles and shiny eyes and beautiful energies. And then the L stands for love because that's what it's all about. And the A stands for acceptance. So really just accepting people exactly where they're at and accepting ourselves too. And that is not always the easiest thing to do if you were a perfectionist and type A as I was when I was a collegiate athlete. That is really cool. I know that recently my dad started taking yoga classes at the high school he works at. And he'll just like sit in on a yoga class and he has noticed like insane improvements on like feeling better and just it's been amazing to see that effect on his life. He's taking it as a student, like with the students? Yeah, I think have, he like, just like joins in with some classes. They might have like an adult class. I'm not entirely nice. sure. but Good for him. Yeah. Yeah, it's never too late. No, absolutely yeah. not. And I just feel like for me personally, like yoga has definitely, and I don't know if you've taken yoga classes, Ava, but it's definitely improved like not the f- it has improved physical balance but it improves emotional balance in your life and i feel like that's a theme at paradigm that we kind of don't talk about enough yeah i don't know i haven't i haven't taken i mean i when i was in 6th grade obviously you know in like public schools i like to you know rotate activities so like we did square dancing and yoga and f- softball and all these things so i have small experience but my kind of i'm interested because Obviously, you can't always just like drop down and do some yoga wherever you are. And so I know for like me personally, it's really hard for me to be mindful about like how my body's feeling, about why I'm feeling things, um, which is something I've been trying to work on. But I guess I guess my question is, is like, especially for like, let's say before we even started recording, we were talking a little bit about food and eating. And I noticed I, I carry a lot of stress when it comes to eating. Like it stresses me out. I don't like to eat in front of people. I I don't know. And then it's just an issue. And so like, how do I be mindful about things like that without, you know, having to like necessarily sit down and do some yoga for 30 minutes or whatever? How do I bring the balance into my health? I think any opportunity that you have to just reflect, like to be more present. Anytime that you are wanting to eat, asking yourself, like, why do I want to eat? What is it that I'm drawn to eating? Are there certain emotions that you're not wanting to feel? That, you know, like a lot of people want to numb out and there's certain foods that help you numb out. Like if it's especially salty, sweet, crunchy, those sensations just pull us out of our heads because we get to experience those sensations and they're delicious. Yeah. So I would say, I mean, it doesn't have to be yoga. It could be just going for a walk as long as you are 100% present on that walk not listening to something else, not looking at your phone, but just 100% present during the walk. The reason why yoga gets the job done so much faster than let's say going for a walk is because of the intensity of the sensations that you experience in the stretch, right? Because like when you're trying to touch your toes and it feels like your hamstrings are about to rip out of the back of your legs, you get to watch your mind go, ah, freak out, right? And so, but because kind of the nature of the the yoga poses that you stay in past the comfort zone, out of the comfort zone and into the unknown where you get to kind of look at your mental process. So it just accelerates the opportunity to observe faster, right? Because going for a walk, it might, it may take several miles to actually get out of your head, but yoga, it's just like within one class. I mean, the reason why I practice yoga now is for the mental benefits. 
I feel like my body stretched out plenty. If anything, I stretched it out too much and I have to focus more on strengthening. <laughs> That's just because I'm an extreme person. And I'm like, I have to be able to do the splits. Like, is that really the best for design for my body? Maybe not. But of course, my ego interferes still. So, um, Ego says splits or nothing. Right? Exactly. Like, get down. So, yes, that's, I would say that's just why yoga works a little bit faster than some other mindful activities, practices. Yeah, makes sense. How do you feel like we can be more mindful in our education and more balanced in our education? For me personally, I find that, especially the last couple of weeks, I've been so stressed. And spring break, it just like, as much as it was like, felt de-stressing it's like monday morning i'm right back to (laughs) wanting to explode and being super stressed and never having any energy to do anything once i get home and just being like wiped out from school and not being able to find the balance of i want to do this thing but i also want to do this other thing what is the correct ratio for that to not like put my life out of whack like how how can we find these balances in our life Okay, I think a couple things come to mind for that is um, one, I would look at what is your source of stress? Like, yeah, stress is, it's actually, stress can be really motivating, but it's not, it's not the most uh, beneficial form of motivation, right? So why are you feeling so stressed? Like, is it because you've procrastinated? Is it because you have an expectation around your performance, like you want to do really well? Before I would be able to answer the question fully, I'd want to understand why, what is the root of the stress? Is it the future you are afraid of? Is it letting your parents down? I feel like for me, it's the much, right? Like there's there's so many things that could be done and there's so many things that need to be done. And I feel like I have to do all of them and I have to do all of them 100% perfectly and then I do none of them and I just sit in my bed and like freak out that is super stressful (laughs) that is super stressful you shut down so you shut down yeah yeah and that's a common response wow yeah that is a tough one welcome to my podcast please fix my problem exactly (laughs) no no wow I mean hmm gotta think about this one so you shut down so I'll just be like sitting on my bed and like watching videos or something and just feeling paralyzed and I have all these like thoughts in my head that are like you need to do it whatever it is do something this is this is not productive ah and then I'm like I want to nap now I'm stressed please <laughs> stop and so it just like paralyzes me yeah there's a lot this, of back like, and forth yeah little yeah. ball of stress yeah, I like uh, in the in the Buddhist philosophy, they have this concept of mindfulness and the way they describe it, it like makes a lot more sense to me because it's like, it sounds like a really basic term and we talk about it a lot. It's like all over the magazines nowadays. There's my like head's even, full of mind. Right, I know. It's like, I am in my mind and it's going crazy. But the way that the Buddhists describe it, there's like the big mind and then there's the monkey mind. And the monkey, just think of like a monkey inside your brain going, like, you know, beating yourself up because you can't stop watching YouTube or, you know, and you're like self-deprecating yourself because you can't get the motivation to do anything like that is your monkey mind. And so mindfulness, we have the choice to step into this place in our mind where it's the big mind. You just kind of like take a deep breath and go, I can do this, right? Because we all have this image in our, I think, I think it more comes from the soul if you want to get you know, spiritual here of this, this image that we have of our higher selves, 
right? This best version of ourselves where we're kind, where we're peaceful, where we're creative, like we all have access to that. And so mindfulness is just slowing down enough to choose that consciousness every day. And it takes training because our world completely goes against it. I mean, we are being bombarded with stimuli all day long. And then we get our phones. I mean, even before we all had little stimuli in our hand, in our handheld stimuli before we got our devices, even before that we were bombarded with stimuli. So now it's like magnified. So for us to actually like be completely be human beers instead of human doers, right? It takes, it takes work. I mean, that's where all these meditative practices come in. And I say meditation and some people are like, and I, I'm, I'm actually one of them that says, I can't meditate. I've tried. Meditation is not just sitting. You know, there's many, many different forms of meditation. I think meditation is just training your mind to be in the present moment. And if that means going for a walk, if that means going for a swim, I don't think it means watching YouTube because some people say, well, I feel really mindful when I watch YouTube and read a book or whatever. I think it really, you just want to have as few distractions as possible. And you can, we can train ourselves to become mindful and to step into that big mind consciousness where the monkey mind isn't running the show. You know, where we feel like we have enough time, we're not living in fear, we're not thinking, stressing out about the future, we're not ruminating in the past, we're just fine. We are, you know, the A in the SOLA, the acceptance, just being okay with where we're at. Like we are works in progress. Perfection, it's a moving, it's a moving target. I mean, what is perfection, right? right? But just really accepting the fact that we are in progress. And when that we're really perfect, right where we are. I feel like there's a third mind and it's the ape mind in between a monkey and a human because that's where I am. We found it, guys. We found the missing link. It's Ava's brain. It's my brain. (laughs) It's, I, you know, I know that I need to be like balancing things and take a break or I need to get out of my head and fuel my body. And, but then I take it too far. I go, I need to take a break. And then I do 15 minutes of work and then three hours of break. Or I go, I need to fuel my body. And so I go from not eating for six hours to eating a lot in 30 minutes. It's difficult to, you know, get from monkey to the big mind. And I'm like stuck in this little in between and I don't know what to do about it. That is a challenge. I think we all kind of feel like, does the big mind even exist, right? It's like, yeah, but it is a training. You know, we have to train ourselves. It's not like we wake up one day and we're like, oh, here I am, right? We might feel like little glimpse of it. And I feel like you do because you are a very intelligent person, right? And you're aware of your thoughts. The fact that you are aware of your thinking, that you have the power to reflect, means that you have the ability to step into that big mind. But it's not, it, it doesn't just happen like that. Like we have to, we have to have a practice. And that's where, you know, like bringing really powerful morning rituals into our life, I think is one of the first steps that you can take to um, start to clear your consciousness and choose, start choosing your thoughts and realizing your potential. Because the mornings, I mean, just look at the snooze button, for instance, the ding dang snooze button. I hit it. it. I let myself hit it three times. Three times. Hey, (laughs) three times. And then I had to get up. Okay. You're a triple snoozer. I am. That's crazy. Is yours a nine minute interval? Uh, I think it's an eight minute, nine, eight, eight or nine minute. minute. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I'll get woken up and then I'll just sit there for about 40 minutes and then I'll be late. What do you think about? 
how much I want to not get out of bed, <laughs> <laughs> how much I like want to sleep and probably die. <laughs> I think, but you were talking about those those glimpses earlier, and I feel like those are so powerful. And I've definitely had those glimpses in yoga. Those just and they're small moments. They're not. And they're so hard to like come back to, but when you're in there, it's just amazing. It'll usually be right around final relaxation and you'll just like be accepting of yourself and you'll have this glow about you and it's amazing. And I feel like the concept of Nirvana talks about that. Like that is what it would be for me is like that is the highest state I've ever like attained and just being fine and that word is so magical to me. So fine, many people are fine, like, I'm fine. fine. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> you're not fine. fine. Being fine and just like completely at peace with you. I would change yeah. nothing. But that's I the goal, fine. right? Is yeah. to lay down at night. Yes. And it's not to be, I'm absolutely ecstatic and happy every single night with my life. Like when I lay down, it's to lay down and be at peace instead of being anxious or in contention yeah. with yourself or with the choices you've made. It takes work. I have to say that it takes work and I'll just share with you why I had to go there. Maybe TMI, but it's a podcast. To do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So three years ago, my father was dying of cancer. So it was actually four years. He was diagnosed and died within a year. At the same time, I was going through a divorce or deciding that I needed to get divorced, which is a very, you know, one of the hardest. Pretty, pretty intense. Pretty intense. Things Small go. children, super you know, hard, hard yeah. super hard. And my brother had um, a major stroke and was severely disabled and I was his caregiver. And I was going through all of those things at the same time. And I noticed that my physical health was deteriorating. I had inflammation throughout my body. I had pain in every joint in my body. I was going down the uh, rabbit hole of WebMD, looking up all the different cancers I could have. Bone cancer was at the top of the list, which is, does not have a good prognosis. So I was like, okay, well, if I have three months to live, six months to live. Anyway, I became much more spiritual. I finally went and saw my doctor because I hadn't been to my primary care physician in three years. And I was like, okay, well, I probably have cancer. So I finally was like, okay, I have to go to the doctor. Anyway, had a little bit of a health scare at the doctor, but it ended up being just fine. All my blood work came back normal. And she said, you just have stress. And I'm like, no kidding. So that is what necessitated my actions to be super deliberate about being mindful, like choosing my thoughts. Because my, my life was so chaotic at the time, you know, just dealing with all three calamities um, that I could not allow myself to think negative thoughts. So I just became vigilant, hypervigilant about my lifestyle down to... The morning I woke up, I woke up super early because I wanted to wake up before my mind turned on and started thinking worried thoughts. And I had a morning ritual that was super dialed in. I started gratitude journaling. And I might, I know that sounds simple, but that seriously changed my whole perspective. It's amazing when you realize that you have the power to choose your thoughts and the thoughts that you choose can elevate your consciousness to the point where you feel love towards everyone. You feel peace in your future. You feel peace with your past, which isn't easy to do when, you've, when you're going through a divorce, you know? You're like, duh, why did I marry him? I mean, that sounds, anyway. No, but <laughs> it makes sense. Just, you yes. have regrets, yeah, yes. right? You have regrets, right? It was just so absolutely necessary for my health, my physical health and my mental health to choose every thought that I thought. 
And coming to Paradigm, actually Paradigm was like such a, a, a haven for me because I have always loved my job, but I loved it even more coming here because I like I really believe that service is the number one reason for humans. We have to serve. I mean, to like feel fulfilled, mm-hmm. right? To fulfill our life purpose, we have to find our way to serve. And so coming here was like very therapeutic for me. But but yeah, that the mindfulness practice, I, I had to do it or I maybe would have gotten cancer. I don't know. But I was in a lot of pain and waking up and feeling every joint in my body like ache was horrible. I'm like, what? I eat so healthy. It doesn't matter. My mind was a mess. But I think, I think you know, you sharing your story like shows like even like balance and things like this exists outside of our mind. Like it is a universal truth. Like it really feels like when life gets you down, it gets you down. Like I'll share some of my experiences in July. So, you know, I was, it was kind of rough because school had been taken away from me and that was a huge deal for me because I'm a social person. And so I was stuck at home and I was just not dealing well with it. And I hated over quarantine. Yes. Over quarantine. I hated online school. I was super negative. I wasn't seeing anybody. And then in July, I had my cousin who was very close to take his own life. So that was also a shock. It was just awful and it felt awful. And then, you know, I started getting negative. I'm like, because I didn't have an initial reac- reaction to it. And I was like, what is going on? What's wrong with me? So I, I, I started to turn in. I'm not seeing anybody. What's wrong with me? And then two weeks later after going through that, or I started to develop really, really terrible anxiety to the point where I'd have to drug myself to go to sleep every night and I couldn't eat anything. I lost like 10 pounds and I like, it was just the worst. And then I went through my first breakup, which is always the hardest because it's just teenager emotions and you don't know how to let go of something. And then the regrets came, like you were saying, like, why did I even get into the situation that I'd have to get myself out of? And why is it happening now? And all these terrible things. And I found myself for like a minute choosing to sink rather than swim because I was like, why is this all happening now? Why? Like, this is so unfair. This is so stupid. And like, I just wanted to lay down and die. (laughs) I was like, this is the worst. But I think it comes to like making decisions that are going to help you in the long run. And I think that's the hardest part. It was like, do I go in to the doctor and get on medication, which I was really against for a long time because I thought they messed up your brain and stuff. It was like, do I go and get on medication? Do I break up with this person? Like how? And then it all just like came flooding to me. And I was like, I'm going to explode. The stress that I'm carrying is damaging my body and damaging who I am but then it's making those conscious decisions and they always seem to happen in the worst times of your life and that's why it's super important to prepare yourself beforehand I've noticed ever since then because that was like I was just not taking care of myself and now I've been starting to do that so when another bad situation in my life happens because it's going to happen I can make those mindful decisions to help myself get out of it rather than just not exist anymore that makes sense definitely yeah so you've got some good tools that you can take those tools with you for your whole life so looking back on that that trying situation it's like it's like our perspective right and when we have to remember that too because like you said things are going to be the road ahead is not it's not like you're like whoo i'm free and clear there's no more bumps i know exactly where i'm going right and so to be able to just be okay with the challenge and know that you learned some really powerful tools that you're going to be able to apply next time around when you come into bumps in the road. Yeah. I mean, that's like mental health 101, right? 
is knowing that you have those tools moving forward. Yeah. And that you were able to dig yourself out. Yeah. I mean, I needed a lot of help, like a ton of help from my family. But then like, you know, you see the, I got like the gratitude from like, oh, I have family. Ava, thanks for sharing that. It actually, that vulnerability, like so many people, especially during COVID, were experiencing the same struggles. So thanks for for sharing that with us. Yeah, Yeah, it was really powerful. Yeah. And it's just important to remember that, again, because it is a progress and that there's going to be bumps in the road, that we just have to have that perspective of everything's going to be okay. And we are okay exactly where we are. And really believe that. And really believe that. Otherwise, anxiety will take over faster than you can spell anxiety. It's so quick. It is. It's so quick. Because again, that monkey mind, that monkey mind can be your master. And again, if you look at it in those two different states of consciousness and be able to look at the thoughts and say, are these true? Are these real? Do you think that's what you're trying to balance? Are you trying to balance like your perception of the world? I think it all comes down to perception and the lens that we see the world through. So like that would be applicable for everybody, scholars, working professionals, Senator Mitt Romney, anyone. (laughs) I mean, depression and anxiety are the leading causes of disability. I want to say in the world, but it's definitely in the United States. Yeah, people are not working because they're so depressed and they're so anxious. So something has to change. Something has to change. And I do feel strongly that it is going to be a simple approach because, you know, we've kind of exhausted the the human doing, 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 go. It's not about doing more. It's about actually doing less and coming back into ourselves and just finding that that unity with our higher consciousness. Like, you know, in the in the 12 steps, they call it the higher power. In Christianity, we call it Christ consciousness. In Buddhism, they call it Buddha consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's just like we have these different states of consciousness and that we have the power to choose and creating space in our lives to be able to choose that. I think that everyone will will realize how darn amazing we all are. I really like how you said it's about doing less. And so I want to give the people listening something to go away with to practice, to try. So like, and so it's about doing less, which I always forget. What is like one or two things that you think they could practice that could help them be more mindful or balanced in their day-to-day life? I think if we were to take a poll among all the scholars and probably the mentors and administrators, one of the most challenging things that brings the most stress into our lives is time management and procrastination right? So how are we supposed to actually slow down and do less when we procrastinate? So again, I think the morning piece is key. And for all of you non-morning people out there, and it's especially hard for teenagers because your brains are actually changing to want to sleep in. So the morning thing is hard. I understand that. But what is so important about the morning routine is that that is how you start your day. It's like you are planting the seeds for the garden that you're going to grow throughout the day first thing in the morning. Tell me about your morning routine. Do I not need to hit the snooze button three times? Do I need to? You know why the snooze button is such a problem? Because it sets puts you out of integrity right away. You're That's like, well, I set wow. my alarm for 6 a.m., but I'm not going to get up till 624 or 627, depending if it's an eight or nine minute snooze, right? You like you're You are allowing yourself to not be in integrity with your work, with your intention, right? So uh, my morning r- routine starts the night before. So before I go to bed, I, vi- I mean, I have a prayer and I read and then I visualize my morning. I'll be like, okay, actually tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up. 
I go in the kitchen. I drink my two glasses of lemon water with lemon juice in it. I drink the stuff called greens first, just a green powder. I go into my, I sit on my couch and I do this. It's called savor. It's pretty specific. The S stands for silence. So depending on how much time I have, if I have 20 minutes, then I divide the five by 20. If I have five minutes, then it's just one minute for each letter. The S stands for silence. I just sit in silence for one minute and I time it because otherwise you're like, how much time is that? The A stands for affirmations. So I literally tell myself good things like I am powerful. I am inspirational. I tried affirmations and I felt a little bit schizophrenic. <laughs> I was like, I'm going crazy. Wow. It takes, you know, the repetition. It's all about the repetition, right? Because, you know, a few times you might be like, why am I telling myself this? But over time, you start to lay down those neural pathways and you start to believe it. I so. 100% agree. Yeah. I mean, like, well, it's literal science, down, like, so you have to agree. It is. Okay. <laughs> it's brain science. Hey. Yeah. Brain science from the little engine that could. Totally. He said you think he can? You, you can, can do it. You can. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and then the V stands for visualize, and that's where I visualize my day. I visualize each one of my classes. I visualize interactions with students that I may be struggling with or whatever. Visualize. Whatever I want to happen, I literally visualize it. E stands for exercise. So I do this weird exercise called rebounding. It's on a little mini trampoline. And I do that for at least 10 minutes. It just wakes up my body. And then the R stands for reading and reflecting. So I either read or journal. And it's literally, even if it's just, if I literally have five minutes, I will do each one of those for one minute. But it's just the, the repetition of that. And it just gets my brain going in the right direction. That sounds so powerful. Yeah, it is powerful. It's actually, I didn't invent it. I can't take credit for it. It's from this book called The Miracle Hour. And that's kind of his whole theory. Do you of, know who wrote uh, it? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, we can look it up like right now. <laughs> the Miracle Hour. But it's good. It's just so powerful. Because our mornings are, I mean, we start our day in the mornings. Everything starts in the morning. And every day is new. No matter how bad your day was before, you always start with a fresh mind, right? Like you don't really carry that much over in your mind after you sleep, unless you don't sleep, which is a real problem. I think it was Da Vinci and he was like, I hate sleeping, this sucks. And so he did like 20 minute naps every two hours. So he got like six hours of sleep or something like that. And he just ran on a 24 hour clock and just like never stopped. And um, I feel like I would spontaneously combust after about three days. That sounds days. like an incredible waste of time. What? Sleeping like that. Because I feel like there is definitely a reason we are not nocturnal. And so to just like... It's true. He's doing too much. It's called The Miracle Morning by Hal Alrod, by the way. It's a good one. Miss Caballero, thank you so much for coming on The Paradigm Project. It has been amazing to talk with you. You are a super insightful person. And I, I really appreciate this podcast. It was amazing. I am so excited to be with you all. Thank you for inviting me. It's really, truly, truly an honor. Fantastic. If you have any comment suggestions or future episode ideas, you can email us at podcast at paradigmhigh.org or you can find us on Instagram at the Paradigm Pod. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and now we are on YouTube. So Ooh. check us out there. Don't forget to like and give us a great review on Apple Podcasts. If you rate us five stars, it really helps us out. Mm-hmm.